HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Culture City, a for-purpose organization that provides a place of acceptance and support for all autism families. For more information, visit culturecity.org. This is Michael Harlan Turkel, host of The Food Scene. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Irway. So I love it when a cookbook gives me much more to savor than tempting recipes or beautiful photography. Um, It gives me a sense of a character and also an evolution of that person's food perspective. And that's what I'm getting a lot of in this book right here, which is written by our good friend at Heritage, Nicole Taylor. How are you? She's in Bedstar right now, not in our station, but close, almost. How are you? Hey, Kathy. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, I'm riding through the beautiful blocks, the mm-hmm. colorful blocks of Bedstar. All the yellow leaves are falling down. It's gorgeous out today. It is gorgeous. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, I'm glad we can make this happen. I know you have had a busy week, with, uh, busy few weeks with this book, um, the Up South Cookbook. I guess I didn't mention the title, Chasing Dixie in a Brooklyn Kitchen. It is it is very you, and I love that because you bring so much excitement to every conversation that you've been involved in. You know, from being a host here on Heritage to um, throwing various different events for food causes in Brooklyn. Um, so we love your we love your journey, and it's an honor to to have you and um, talking about this book. So, yeah, congrats. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. A lot of hard work. A lot of. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, energy and time into this book. And it's, you know, it's really uh, a a story and a cookbook, but it's really a culinary journey about me moving from Georgia to New York. And so many players in the Brooklyn food scene are sprinkled throughout this book. Um, And, and, you know, I say it in the acknowledgments, you know, I'm very grateful to be able to really have started the journey or, you know, a, a, a part of the journey um, on Heritage Radio Network, so I'm grateful for that. Yeah, your show Hot Grease. It's a uh, you know a lot of people. Re- re- uh, sorry, 
like remember that one and they're like oh yeah hot grease i know that show so <laughs> definitely a part of the family here um so i i love the introduction and it it's short but it's really um evocative and it really it really gave me a sense in um in a very poetic way of, of where you're taking us with this book um and it was surprising to me in some ways because i you know i was expecting you know a lot of introductions start out with some really like visceral food sensory details or something like that so like i don't know the sound of fatback popping in a cast iron pan or like the smell of nutmeg or something like that right um uh. and um instead you give me like these snippets of a culture um that that makes my imagination try to fill in the blanks of the food and um it makes me sort of nod my head like oh yeah i see where she's coming from like f so for example you say um I don't know, still lakes and slow-moving trees. You want to fish? Not that river. Someone had an accident and the car fell in, drowning everyone inside. Where I'm from, there's a story to be told, and there's always sweet tea chilling and mulberries dancing in the wind. I was everyone's child. Aunts, uncles, mama, and cousins were one and the same. Um, see and repeat, I don't remember ever being taught to cook anything. My eyes were useful tools. So it's like... Yeah, you know, this is where you're coming from. This is where this is how food is shared and enjoyed and um, seen every day, all around. And you know, I gotta say, it was a it was refreshing to read. I've read a lot of cookbooks <laughs> in this time, so yours was definitely um, stood out um, with the intro. Oh wow! Yeah. So okay, so let's talk about um, the nitty gritty, pun intended. <laughs> Sorry, you start out with grits. And um, or you start out with the pantry, but you get quickly into grits. And tell me a little bit about the how how this is so quintessential to your particular brand of Southern food. Yeah, you get you get grits. I mean, you grow up in mm -hmm. the in the South. Um, I mean, it's the food that you always have in the pantry. Mm -hmm. um, it's something that I keep everywhere. Um, wherever I go, I'm always trying to find grits or take grits where. Um, where I'm going, you know, even here in New York. I mean, it's, it's essential. I think it's, it is the most important thing, if not um, the thing that every Southerner needs to always have in their pantry. Mm -hmm. um, so, so grits is a really big thing. I know someone asked me, why did I start with grits? I'm like, it's a foundational food. Yeah. Um, and it's really hard to find in New York City, but, uh, you know, I make it work and find it. <laughs> Yeah, and you also play play around with grits a bit. It's not just your standard. Um, you have this like kind of like Arancini Brothers inspired grits um, patty, um, sort of like a risotto ball, um, and then you have like a baked grits dish. You got grits in a waffle. Um, oh my god, uh, that sounds yeah. great. So yeah, I mean, here's the thing, in in, in the book, and particularly in the grits chapter. Uh, you know, half of the recipes are like classic Southern recipes. So you mm -hmm. have a classic grit. You have a classic cheese grit, I, even though I use some Northeastern cheeses. But then you have the savory grit waffle, um, mm -hmm. which are grits, and it's mixed with other things, and you put it on a waffle iron. So you still have the classic piece, but you definitely have um, elements of, you know, me being in the Northeast and exploring other foods and other techniques. Um so most folks who are just used to, you know, the grits with a little butter and salt and pepper, they're going to open up that chapter, open up the book, and, and, and I hope that they're intrigued and say, wait, um, I can do something else with my grits. 
Yeah, I mean, there's absolutely no reason why we wouldn't eat grit. It's not like it's not a regional, like, like uh, you know, climate, like regionally specific uh, dish. You know, anywhere you can get ground corn, you can make grits uh, any season too. So it's like it's a blank canvas. It looks like um, totally. And you can use polenta. I mean, you know, polenta is a different texture. But I definitely think, and I know that if you wanted to do some of the the recipes and use polenta, I mean, you probably just needed to to watch some of the proportions in terms of how much water and stuff you went in there. Because some people are not going to be able to find grits, and they're not going to be interested in ordering them online. So I would say, yeah, sure, use polenta. Mm -hmm. And grits and polenta are essentially the same thing, different type of corn um, and different kind of texture in the way that they're ground. That's truly the difference between polenta and grits. Yeah, it sounds, and not color, right? It's, or... I mean, typically we see, like, the whiter, I don't know, grits, I think, but it doesn't have to be that way. You can get yellow yeah. grits, too. Yellow grits mm-hmm. are, are, are a thing. Um, again, it's just a different type of corn and the way that they're ground. But, yeah, I like yellow grits. Mm-hmm. I prefer them white, maybe just because that's what I grew up seeing, you know, and having all the time, yeah. white grits. But I love, like, yeah. the, the kind of, like, cross influences that you've picked up throughout the way and how it's shown in, in the Grits chapter. But, like, all throughout this book, you know, you have um, – and you give us those, like, those people who have inspired you and, like, the exact places, like, where you get yuzu or, like, where you, you know, have incorporated ramps into a soup because it's, you know, all the rage here at the green markets. Um, <laughs> yeah. Is. So it's definitely like a personal brand of Southern cooking. And um, I like that you note that Southern cooking is so vast that there's, um, you know, regional differences are, yeah, tell me a little bit about like the whole swath of Southern cooking because you're not, this isn't a book about like certain regions and trying to pick apart what is traditional where. Um, you say that it's, it's really, it's too much to say. It's too much to pick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this book, two things. This is definitely throughout the book you're going to see uh, people, places, and things that are indicative of me and my life. My life living in Atlanta, being born in Athens and growing up there and living in the Northeast. So you see, you know, my food friends. You see the mention of markets. And you see my South. I mean, I talk about in one of the chapters is that, you're not going to see shrimp and grits in the book because I didn't grow up eat, eating shrimp and grits. Mm-hmm. That's, that wasn't a, that's a, thing. a dish that, you know, a lot of people who have an abundance of seafood, they have shrimp and grits all the time. Mm-hmm. Or there are just certain things Louisiana, in the South that, that, yeah. that are not applicable to living in, the, in northeast Georgia, and that's basically where I was born. So, yeah, the South is not one thing. I mean, people always assume that I'm from the South, that I know everything about hot Nashville-style chicken. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, well, I didn't grow up in Nashville. Mm-hmm. I never really had Nashville-style chicken, really, to be honest with you, until I moved to New York City. <laughs> um, so, you know, what I try to say is that there are so many Southern cuisines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's a general thing about the South, and I like to say that it's a culture. It's a way of living. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some basic pantry items I think that are that are that say the South, mm-hmm. but there's so many dishes from Charleston and and to New Orleans to Atlanta to Savannah. The South is a million different things, mm-hmm. and you can make it your own. You know, as you've shown, totally. and hopefully inspire people to take their comfort foods and you know 
incorporated into their lives and environment. So um, how did you start, you know, playing around with food in this way? And like, what got you excited? Was it, um, you know, you mentioned when you first moved to Brooklyn, you know, it was a big culture shock, you know, everything was so different. And um, did it make the differences and the food memories more pronounced to you? Uh, well, I think what happened is, you know, I moved away at 18 and moved to Atlanta. And at the same time, you know, being a girl from a small town, I mean, Athens is a small town. Mm-hmm. When I moved to Atlanta, I was like, oh, you know, I don't eat pork anymore. I don't eat beef. So I was semi-vegetarian. And mm-hmm. I wanted to get away from the foods that I grew up eating. Okay. Um, but it all kind of changed when I moved to, to New York City because I started looking around me and I started seeing all these folks you know, eating the food or preparing the food in the way that I grew up. All of these memories kind of came back to me on top of I had this experience in the kitchen um, or experiences in the kitchen where I was making all kind of food. Um, So I essentially just kind of mixed the two together, you know. Mm -hmm. I love tomatillas, so I'm like, hey, let me incorporate tomatillas in some of the the traditional southern, southern dishes. Or, um, like, with the savory sweet potato pie. Um, I like sweet potato pie. It's not one of the my favorite pies. But I'm like, hey, let me try out a savory sweet potato pie. So it was just me just being creative in the kitchen. And not just being creative because I had a cookbook, but creative because I'm into food. I like being in the kitchen. It's not a job for me. Yeah. Um, and, a, and, and a lot of this stuff just kind of came about... Just me being in the kitchen and being fearless in the kitchen and, and also tasting other people's food and being interested in other people's lives and cultures um, that aren't necessarily from the South, yeah. um, but they may be, you know, living in New York City. I love that there's so many uh, people I recognize throughout this book, you know, like <laughs> Agarol and like takedowns. I'm like, yeah, this is all great. It's true. It's all true. I just have to say <laughs> this book. Thank you. Um, so also, you know, you kind of like dive in and have made a lot of, um, you know, connections in the greater uh, food systems, um, I guess, community um, with the Brooklyn Food Coalition, for example. Um, and, you know, you've spoken at conferences. How, because a lot of people ask me this, um, how do you get involved in your, like, wow. yeah, a lot of people are like, how do I just, where do I start? You know, how can I participate and and help make changes in my community how did you do that because you did it so well (laughs) i get that question a lot too and i'm always kind of like um i mean you know to be honest two things i'll say this you know all of this was very organic you know Mm -hmm. for me i didn't set out i mean i came to new york city i moved here because my husband got a job and i knew i wanted to do to do food but i wasn't sure what that meant I mean, I talk about it in the book, but Twitter is really the way that I connected to so many folks. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been at heart an activist and been, you know, very concerned about communities and what it means to build community. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just really just kind of jumped in, you know, into these tribes, what I like to say, of people who I felt like had a like mind. Mm-hmm. And the advice I would give to people is don't try to do this big grandioso thing. Find, you know, people of, that have like mind and connect with them on a right. small level, even if that means 
going to a potluck with them. And I think naturally you'll be connected to maybe an organization that you can volunteer for, and then it may turn into a job because that's essentially what happened to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I got a job at Brooklyn Food Coalition after going to the first conference, what, yeah. six years ago and being blown away, yeah. met someone there. Um, they knew that I was passionate about food, and I was one of their first em- em- employees. I mean, since then, you know, I've consulted for other organizations and all that stuff. And I would just say for anybody, just just jump in slowly. Mm-hmm. Don't have this big grand plan, but find your tribe. And more so, the bigger thing is get in the kitchen and cook. <laughs> I mean, I like get in the kitchen, explore and cook, yeah. and invite people over. Um, and people outside of your circle, um, not the same people. Try to, you know, to, to um, make a point of inviting diverse people to your place. Um, it, it, just, it just opens you up to so many different things, to solving problems, to having solutions. It's a total must for anybody who is really interested in changing anything um, in, in communities around the country. So don't go it alone. I think that's like no, good, definitely. Yeah, and go outside Some of your circle. Grand you know, scheme. go outside yeah. of your circle. And yeah. I like that. Um, yeah, you got to cook the food that you want to talk about too. Absolutely, um, Nicole. Totally. We're just we're just going to cut to a quick little commercial break, and we'll be right back. Talk more. This is Michael Harlan Turkel from the food scene on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You know, every Tuesday at 3 p.m., I stop in the studio, walk to the far side, sit in my favorite blue chair. If you ever stop by Roberta's, look through the window and you can see that chair itself. You know, and I've been sitting here for five plus years. 250 episodes have met some of the best people in the food world. Such great culinary minds. Um, and recently we just relaunched our website, added a whole bunch of shows, but we still need you, our listeners, our friends, our fans, even guests themselves, to help us out. We, we, you know, we're a 501c3, a nonprofit, and we're not really doing this for the money. We're doing this for the love, for the greater good of the food world as a whole. So get on HeritageRadioNetwork.org, click that little pounding heart in the top right corner, and, you know, give what you can. Or just keep on listening. We'd love to have you. Today's program is proudly brought to you by Culture City, a for-purpose organization that provides a place of acceptance and support for all autism families. This is Culture City's founder, Julian Maha. Culture City was really born out of uh, necessity. You know, it was born when my, uh, you know, currently six-year-old boy was diagnosed with autism. Uh, his name is Abram and he's non-verbal. And even though my wife and I were both physicians at the time, it was really hard for us to find any resources at that point to help him 
all the other organizations out there that we know of, um, they do phenomenal work, but their main focus is basically finding a cure for autism. Our main focus is basically trying to prepare the community to accept not only children with autism, but their families as well. You know, in addition to that, we also want to provide help to these families in the here and now. You know, so tangible things like, you know, iPads for non-verbal kids, you know, financial scholarships, uh, therapy scholarships, you know, art camps, and also some um, lecture series that can teach parents about, you know, dietary issues, um, you know, how to financially plan and things like that. For more information, visit culturecity.org. All right, we're back chatting more with Nicole Taylor about her Up South cookbook. And uh, you're on the line still, hopefully, from bed I am here, standing oh. outside of my favorite bar here in bed <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, it is a beautiful day for a little uh, happy hour soon, hopefully. Um, so one of the things I really liked about this book, because I'm like a up north girl, so I really enjoyed um, reading all these anecdotes and folk wisdoms and sayings throughout it. Ah, Stuff like, yes, yeah, I love those. Like a closed mouth, don't get fed. Okay, that's true. I'm going to start saying that. Uh, <laughs> so do you think they're all Southern? Because somebody was like, I don't know if they're Southern, but just kind of like American sayings. I don't know. Some of them are Southern and some of them I feel like are just kind of... <sighs> Everyone says them. What's your favorite? I don't know. Um, well, okay, so I was going to bring up my favorite isn't really a saying, but it's um, the folklore that says eating leafy greens after 8 p.m. Uh, gives you crazy dreams or kills you. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Oh, my gosh. So the what? story behind that, that's in the greens and things chapter. Yeah. I think I opened up the greens and things chapter. I was in New Orleans with Fanny Gearson. Mm-hmm. Fanny, if people don't know, oh. she's the person behind um, Joe Donut and La New Yorkina. And we were in New Orleans, and we bunked together one night, and we had gone to Koshan and had all of your basically collard greens. And I was like, girl, we're going to be dreaming like hell tonight. And she was like, huh? <laughs> and I was telling her, I was like, you know, when you eat greens um, late at night, <clears throat> they're either going to make you dream, and they're also going to, like, kill you. And they, they say, you know, you're going to die. I grew up hearing that. But it's really, the dying part has to do with people, like, getting gas and it's a crazy thing but yeah so I, I grew up always hearing don't eat collard greens or cabbage or certain type of greens like after eight mm. o'clock she was she thought that was so hilarious I, well it sounds like yeah there's a digestion issue <laughs> like you need to give yourself time totally. to di- yeah <laughs> totally, i don't know totally, about the crazy totally. dreams part though i don't know how that yeah supposedly it. Gonna... crazy dreams too <laughs> Oh, man. I got to test that. Um, one thing I really like is that there's a lot of greens in in your book and also in Southern cooking. And um, a lot of people think of, you know, these fried foods, heavy foods, whatever, cream gravy, I don't know. But, um, yeah, there's like a healthy dose of, and I don't mean like some chopped salad. I mean like cooked green, green, leafy greens. Um, oh, yeah, totally. On the table. I mean, I like to tell people all the time, I'm like, okay, yes, there's a fried chicken recipe in the mm-hmm. book. Yes, there's mac and cheese, and yes, there's red velvet cake. But I didn't grow up eating that every week, maybe once a month, you know? Mm-hmm. I grew up eating a lot of greens, you know? Or at least the greens were always at the table for me to eat. Let me say that. <laughs> um, and, and I try to really show that in the book. Um, I mean, it's pretty much my life. I, li- I love leafy greens. So you see traditional, classic 
like slow cooked collard greens and turnip greens. But then you have, you know, one of my favorite salads in the book um, is the raw bok choy salad with peanuts and blue cheese. Yeah. I love that. Um, and I went down home. I was in Athens on a book tour and I demoed that. People love that. Mm-hmm. Um, just the other night, you know, some friends did a private dinner for me and they did the dandelion greens with oranges and we didn't do it with nuts. A few people had peanut allergies. Um, but it was great. And I like to tell people, I'm like, really? You know, the greens and the peas chapter are the bulk of the book. Mm-hmm. It's not all, you know, red meat and, and um, you know, sweet. Yep. Really, the star, the star of the Up South cookbook, Chasing Dixie in a Brooklyn Kitchen, I would say definitely um, the, the green recipes and the peas, mm-hmm. for sure. The peas, let's talk about those, because I'm holding right now <clears throat> your beautifully packaged um, little thing of Crowder peas. Excuse me. <clears throat> um, what kind of, these are field peas. And, um, yeah, or no? This no, so you the have stuff the you gave Sea me. Island red peas. Oh, the Sea Island. Um, yes, I read about that. Okay. Yeah, Sea Island red peas is a recipe in the chapter, and they're actually from Geechee Boy Mill. Mm-hmm. It's a mill in South Carolina. He does grits, but he also one of the few farms. There are only a few folks that are kind of growing the Sea Island red peas, but they are peas that can be stri- chased, traced. Excuse me, straight to West Africa. They mm-hmm. actually were brought here by enslaved Africans, and. Um, off you know Georgia and South Carolina coast. I like to describe them as you know it looks like a black pea without the black pea. They're red and they're smaller. They're yeah. really great. And I love that they're so these were sort of like un untouched or unmodified throughout the years because that they were Correct. on this island. So they didn't exactly. really modify. It. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, and uh, there's so many things you can do with these peas. I mean, it's I actually totally. found, yeah, like so many um, in the spring and in the summer months, I find all these fresh shelled peas in my bodega. And I'm like, it's just amazing. You can like shuck them and you can, with the fresh ones, you don't have to wait too long. It's, um, yeah. So and things- you can freeze them. You can, I tell people, make a big mm. pot of them, you know, and I say it in the book, make a big pot of peas, freeze half of them. You know, make some brown rice, have them the next week for something else. I think peas, I always say that's my barometer if a person really knows how to cook. I mean, the meat cooking, if you can make a pot of peas, I feel like you can do anything. You can mm-hmm. survive, you can yes. make a weight. I think that's like a foundational thing. Yeah, it's not about the meat. Um, however, you do have a very good and very um, specific recipe for fried chicken that looks amazing. Yes. The spice mixture <laughs> and then the batter. So you're a you're a batter person, not like a dredging person. Is yeah, that, that's the way to. I, I'm happy about my fried chicken recipe. <laughs> I mean, um, I mean, it's a fried chicken. I think I use. I think I use. Um, do I use pecan flour? I use buckwheat flour. I use some kind of other flour in there. Mm. I forget, but I use a small batch of like a specialty flour. But the biggest thing I think with my fried chicken is that um, with anything that you're frying, people get scared to fry food. I'm not afraid to fry food. Um, and it's about really taking your time when you're frying food. And to me, I think you have to season the meat and season the batter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you, and you can have great fried chicken. I use peanut oil. I love peanut oil. I know people have peanut allergies. But they're definitely, you know, you can use lard. Um, you got coconut milk. I love milk. A good fried chicken. You have some coconut Dead milk again? in this. You have coconut milk in this yes, recipe. Yes, That's really yes, cool. Yes, yes, yes. 
Yeah, I use coconut milk and buttermilk in it to, to kind of brine it in there for a while. Mm-hmm. And I love the fish and seafood fry that you talk about your um, your uncle, no, your great uncle, um, holding every year um, back in Georgia. Uh, so. Uh, he- Tell me about yeah Ben Taylor. Yeah, my uncle Ben. Yeah, he's in the front of the book. In the front of the book, kind of opened up the dedication page with basically it's pretty much my my grandfather, my mother, my aunts, and my great aunts and uncles. Most of them, uh, my great aunts and uncles, all of them pretty much have passed on. But mm-hmm. my uncle Ben was an avid fisherman. He had a boat. He was big in the fishing. I never met my grandfather, but he also was a huge hunter and he fished a lot. But um, there was always fish around, and he basically would save all of his fish of, of you know that he had over fishing over the year, and he would do a big fish fry. It would be for family and friends, and I remember that so vividly. Mm-hmm. And they would have something called a turtle soup. I, I tried to do the turtle soup thing, but that didn't make the cookbook. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really a homage that that fish fry recipe that's in the book is really a homage to the fish fry that he had for so many years um you know i'm sure you know he would be really proud uh to see that he made the cookbook he was a great man um and someone that i definitely wanted to to pay my respects to in terms of you know keeping on a family tradition well it does look like an awesome recipe and i love that there's like whole fish that are fried up here and it's like it sounds great because, I mean, if you're going to fry, too, it's like feed and share. Do it for a lot of people. Make it a festive. Um, and who wouldn't, who wouldn't you know, come? Who wouldn't want to come to that? And, and, and I use porgy, which is really an inexpensive fish yeah. that, is, that has become so popular in New York City. When I was growing up, that was like the bottom of the barrel, as yeah. my mom says, poor people fish. And now everywhere I go in New York City, they have whole porgies for like $20-something. dollars. I'm shocked. Really? I'm always shocked to see that. Yeah, I mean, you it's go to you know restaurants, they'll have like a whole fried porgy or a whole you know Asian style porgy or something like twenty one dollars. But they're inexpensive. You can get them at Whole Foods. You can go to Chinatown and get them like four ninety nine, three ninety nine a pound. A lot yeah. of bones, but still yeah. a great fish. That's probably it. Yeah, I mean they are a locally caught, plentiful. You know. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, well, I guess that's about all the time we have for today, um, Nicole. I'm sorry. Um, there's it's so much, okay. uh, so much to talk about. I love, um, I love seeing the cast iron pan throughout, and you, you, know, <laughs> you get a sense of like how, how to put things together, you know, in a really simple and organic way. Hopefully, um, you know, taking taking your cues and ho- hopefully people reinvent it from there. Um, so. Yeah, I, I hope the book really inspires people to get in the kitchen. I mean, that is the biggest thing. And also inspires people to really, you know, connect with their family and connect with their friends. And, mm-hmm. and more so this book, you know, for for people who may not be in the South, who are living in the Northeast or living somewhere else, I think they'll read this book and and it'll, it'll take them back. Um, so I hope it does a job in terms of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It took me to another place while still being recognizable and really accessible. So I'm excited. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I have a lot of events coming up. I'm doing a lot. I get a lot of questions about cast iron. Um, so if people are here in Brooklyn, I'm doing a cast iron class at Brooklyn Brainery in December. Awesome. And um, I have all my events on uh, my website, foodcultures.com backslash events. All right. So, yeah, I would love to see people. Awesome. And follow Nicole at at Food Culturist on Twitter. Um, That's it. Yeah. 
and let's be friends. All right. Um, thanks so much for your time. And uh, cheers. Thanks, Liz, and everyone at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.